Is there a biblical basis for getting excited about God and what He has done for us and His Son? This is Truth Encounter, a program committed to helping you genuinely experience the resurrection power of Jesus and not just talk about it. We are in the midst of our study of the close of the New Testament, John's Revelation. In chapter 7, this inspired apostle lets us hear some of the worship of heaven. Is it quiet and subdued, or loud and expressive? Let's open our Bibles to Revelation chapter 7 and join our study leader, Dave Wurtson, for part 2 of our study titled, Springs of Living Water. Some of the worship of heaven is going to be just like you were at a Cowboy game when they just won the Super Bowl. Or some of you that watched the, the American women win the World Cup and you saw people begin to just cheer wildly. It would just thunder upon you. That's what the worship of heaven is going to be like. That's what these saints are doing here. They're shouting to the Lord. Shouting to the Lord. By the way, it wouldn't hurt some of you to shout to the Lord a little bit this week. And don't shout to him in anger. Shout to him in praise. It's really good to do that. In other words, just like you get excited when you just get a new raise. Just like you get excited when you find out that your, your child is not sick. But they, that, that it was a misdiagnosis and they've been set free and you feel like shouting. Go ahead and do it. Don't hold it in. What are you going to be shouting though? You need to be sure to get the words right. What are you going to need to be shouting? It says in verse 10, salvation belongs to our God. Amen? Isn't that great? Salvation belongs to our God. Victory. Let me make it like this. Victory belongs to our God. Can you imagine what that felt like for tribulation saints? Can you imagine what it's going to be for tribulation saints to hear? Victory belongs to our God. Antichrist might cut our heads off. Antichrist might take away our families. Antichrist might take away our homes. But this great eternal anthem comes ringing forth. Victory in the end belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, which means that he's in control of everything. Some of you really need to hang on to that today. All of us do. God today, in the midst of your, of your trial, in the midst of your heat, in the midst of your searing stress, God is saying, salvation belongs to me. And God is saying to us, I sit on the throne. And that's what we respond to. That's what we, we express to him. We let it out from our hearts that we believe that. Salvation belongs to our God. It sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Do you understand the power of that? A lot of you are in discussions with, why do you believe in Jesus? What makes Jesus different from other religious teachers? Those are excellent questions. Whenever young people ask those questions, whenever adults ask those questions, don't run away from them. That's a really good thing to ask. Why should you trust in Jesus? Why should we praise Jesus? And Revelation is telling us is that Jesus is on an equal level with the Father. It says here that salvation belongs to our God and salvation belongs to the Lamb. The throne belongs to the Father and to the Lamb. I could never say salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to Dave Wurtson. It just doesn't fit. Man, I'm not, I'm not anywhere near that cleft. Or salvation belongs to Midlothian Bible Church. Or salvation belongs to the Baptist Church or the Assembly of God Church or whatever church you want would be put in there. What John the Apostle is hitting you with, salvation belongs to God the Father and to God the Son, who's the Lamb. 
All the angels were standing around the throne. And we're just like we're back in chapter 4 and 5 again, getting this snapshot of what it was like to be in heaven. John the Apostle sees all the angels standing around the throne. They're around the elders. Remember the 24 elders who are these hierarchy of angels, probably the leading angels over the court of the angelic hosts. Remember the four living creatures. They're the, the cherubim, the archangels that represent all of God's creation, the different parts of the animal kingdom, the different part of the bird kingdom, the different part of the human kingdom, all these four living creatures. What do they do? Just like they did in chapter 4. They fell down on their faces before the throne and they worshiped God. What do they say? Amen. Now to us, amen just means it's time to eat. In the ancient world, amen meant you can count on this. Amen in Hebrew. Like if you were Hebrew speakers, when you heard amen, you would hear you can count on this. You can depend upon this. You can put all your weight upon it. Whenever they said amen, what they were saying is that's true. I build my life on that. You can count on that. You can trust in that. Those would be all American ways of saying, you can count on this. It's true. Build your life on it. It's endurable. It's strong. It's a good foundation. That's the picture that's used here. So they start out saying, you can count on this. You can count on this image. You can count on this picture of heavenly glory. It says, praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Praise. Remember, I've taught you what praise is. Praise is who you get excited about. Praise is who you begin to boast about. Praise is the one that you exalt. Every one of you have done that to someone or something this week. What I want us to learn to do is to do it to God. That's why we worship. That's why the first part of our, of our worship service is for us to praise him, to boast about him, to exalt in him. In order to do that, we have to humble ourselves. You see, to boast about God, I have to humble myself. Pride is the antithesis of praise. And the Lord wants us to get completely over thinking about what's happening in me, and he wants to think about giving to him. You get to give God your precious gift. It's like you've been getting ready. Man, I can hardly wait till I can gather together with other believers and together with a whole bunch of them, we're going to bring great joy to God's heart. You say, man, how in the world does our singing bring joy to God's heart? Well, just think of it in your marriage. One of the greatest gifts, I've had wives, you know, a wife one after another will say, man, my husband gives me nice cars. He gives me nice gifts. And then she'll look hard at me and she'll say, you know, what I really want him to do is just look at me in the eye and just say that he loves me. I would give anything. Now, some of you precious wives have a husband that looks you in the eye. You just take it for granted. He does it several times in a day. He just says, I want you to know, honey, I love you. Some of you wives have husbands that gather you in your arms like when you throw one of your tantrums and you're upset and you're emotionally distraught and, you know, you say some mean thing. Man, he just comes over to you and just enfolds you in his arms and says, Honey, I just want you to know that I I loved you when I married you and boy, do I love you even more now. Some of you have husbands that are just like that. Some of you have that and you just take it for granted. But I want you to know, if you don't have that, then you know the power of it and you long for it. Where do you think that comes from? Where do you think that hunger to have someone that exalts in me, someone that loves me, where do you think that comes from? It comes from God. God loved for us to look at him. We can't look literally into his eye, but through the eyes of faith, we look at him and say, God, I love you. I'm proud of you. I exalt in you. You're just the greatest. 
And one of the things that starts to happen, if, you're, if, you're, if your spiritual life is dry, you sp- feel like nothing's happening, or if you feel that your problems are just overwhelming, you feel the heat of the sun is too strong. It sounds absolutely bizarre, but one of the things that you need to start doing in your life is you need to just start humbling yourself and start praising God. Start exalting him. Start looking at him and saying, I love you, God. And our singing is just to help us to do that. Singing kind of helps us emotionally. and it, 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 it speaks. It's almost like an incredibly internal thing that gets deep inside of us and enables us to say, God, I want you to know that I praise you. The idea of glory is related to that. Glory has to do with the radiating light. And it means that we, we see God as this radiating, glorious light. His wisdom. This is his wisdom of salvation. The wisdom that's talked about in this chapter would be the, his skill in making this incredible plan of redemption, even including the tribulation period, even including all that we're living right now. Do you really believe that there's a God that's in control of your life that's writing a wise, skillful plan? I wrestle with him at that time. Sometimes I wonder, God, I think you messed it all up. Some of you that are really angry and frustrated today, you're angry and frustrated because you really don't believe God is wise. You don't think he does a very skillful job of handling things, and you think you would do much better. Now, when I put it like that, it, should, it, it causes us to stop and say, now, wait a minute. I don't think I would be a very good God. And I think maybe I need to let God work out his plan. And one of the things I'm learning as I grow older is that God's plan is much more wise than anything I would have ever imagined. It's much more skillful. It's much more deep. It just keeps evolving and growing and there's twists and turns and wondrous things that I would have never concocted. We should exalt him today. It's, it's kind of an expression of our faith. God, you are wise. Thanksgiving, because you've brought us through. Honor, because we want to give you weight and power. We're saying, like, the Antichrist is, I'm the power. These saints are saying, no, God's the power, and God is the strength. Be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders asked a really important question. These in white, who are they, and where did they come from? This is a good teaching technique. If you ever want to know when you're teaching somebody, you've got their attention, just ask them a question. And you see that here in heaven, the, one of the four elders, one of the leading council of the angels, says to John, who do you think these people are? Where did they come from? John did what every good student does. He says, I don't know. You know. Tell me. And he said, these are they who come out of the great tribulation, verse 14. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God, and they serve him day and night. In his temple, he who sits in the throne will spread his tent over them. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat upon them, nor any scorching heat. Why? For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Those verses sound so simple and so straightforward, but those verses express the deepest longings of your heart and my heart. In fact, the beautiful imagery that it closes with, the fountains, the springs of living water. You know what you all want? You all want a job that's really significant. A job that will last. That when, you, when you're, all is said and done, you want to say that my existence really meant something. That your work meant something. You also want to know that, that there's a home. That you have a place that you can call home. That there's a place when when you walk in those doors, you're really at home. 
You also want to have freedom from pain. Every one of us want to get rid of our terrible hunger pains and the pain from the sun and that kind of a thing. And finally, probably one of the most important things of all, that we want to come and take a drink. We want to have springs of living water. In fact, today, every single one of you, if you were to analyze your life, what life consists of is drinking one spring after another. And what I mean by that is you try to do certain things. As I look back over my life, there are certain things I do to try to meet my needs and to give me a drink that will last. And we all hunger for that. We want to have a home. We want to have a job that's significant. And what the book of Revelation is declaring is that these tribulation saints have finally found what they've been looking for. In other words, what it says here is that one day they're going to be before the throne of God and they're going to have a job that's not just significant for like 30 years. Like some of you right now are totally boiled up in your job. Your job means everything to you. My dad, even though he was a great evangelist, in a lot of ways my dad lived for his work. He lived for building a big organization. And he did what a lot of you executives have done. And my dad, I really praise my dad for that. He was good at it. It was a real blessing to him. But I want you to understand that if you just live for building your business, building your work, it's going to turn to sand in your hand. It'll drop right off. You say, why? Mary called World Life the other day. She says, hello, this is Mary, Mary Wurtson. The girl on the other end and said, wait just a minute. Put her on hold for about five minutes, came back again and says, hello, this is, and who is this? Mary Wurtson. The girl on the other end said, Mary who? What, what's that last name, Wurtson? But on the island, my dad lived. The heartbeat of Word of Life from my dad was the island where Mary was calling. And the new generation arose that knew not Joseph. You see what I'm saying? And I got news for you. Some of you that are plowing away in your business, you sacrifice your family, you sacrifice everything to get ahead in your business. I got news for you. I know that you're going to move ahead, and as soon as you retire, you, won't, you can walk back into that offense one week after you retire, and you won't mean a blessed thing. As soon as the power shifts away from you, you're not important anymore. And so if you live for that, if that's what your existence depends upon, you're going to get old, and you're going to have retire, and then life's going to completely run out of gas. But if you serve God, you see, if you're serving him continually, then as you grow older, you're just getting nearer and nearer. All this life, you're serving your invisible God. You're listening to a still, small voice, and everything's done by faith, not by sight. But you're getting closer and closer. You're learning to listen more carefully to Jesus. You're learning to enjoy and to do the thing that he does. And so that as you grow older, you're getting closer and closer to where it's all going to become sight. And what you really do, what's really important to you, serving God, it's going to be what you do forever and ever and ever. Isn't that unbelievable? It's a great thing. It's a good thing. The Lord Jesus says it, that they will serve him day and night. He's going to spread his tent over them. In the Old Testament, an old nomad, if you came to a nomad, you come in off the hot, dusty desert, and you've been out there in 105 degree, like down where they filmed Lawrence of Arabia. We've been down there, right there in, in southern Jordan. And it looks like those expansive sand. And you can imagine being out there in that 110, 115 degree heat, no water. And you come upon a nomad's tent. What it means for him to spread his tent over you is that he brings you in out of that parched heat and he spreads his tent over you. He provides a home for you and he provides meat for you and he provides drink for you. 
What the scripture is saying here is that God's hunger is to spread his tent over us. You know what the greatest privilege in life is? It's to dwell with God and to have God dwell with you. Do you know for sure that God dwells with you? Do you know that God lives close to you, lives inside of you? That's the greatest gift that life can bring. And that's what these resurrection saints here in the tribulation, God spreads his tent over him. That's why they don't hunger anymore. That's why they don't thirst anymore. That's why they're protected. And they have a shepherd, just like a a, a sheep that now has a shepherd to lead them and guide them. And where does he guide them? He guides them to spring the living water and he wipes every tear from their eyes. You know, right now in this life, you're going to cry. It's okay to cry. But I also want you to know that one of the things you're going to be able to do, if you'll let God tent you, if you'll let God shepherd you, then ultimately you're going to have a tender shepherd that wipes the tears away. You know what? I think I saw a beautiful imagery, like it's in heaven. Why are you crying anymore? Because now you're in heaven, so there's no need for tears. And one of the commentators said that it's like, you know, sometimes when you've cried a lot, but now the time for crying is over, but you still have your cheeks stained with the tear, and your mother comes and wipes the, the tears away because you don't need them anymore. That's what it's like. It's not like you're going to be crying in heaven. A lot of you have heard messages that you're going to be crying because of all the missed opportunities, and that's why God needs to wipe your tears away. That's not at all what this chapter is about. Listen, man, this is a group of people that they came out of wandering around the desert, running away from Antichrist, not having enough to eat, having their family members beheaded and cut to smithereens. And now they're in heaven, whole and well and strong. God's not saying, you shame, you believer didn't do enough for me. That's so wrong. The picture in this passage is this incredible good God who comes to you and says, hey, you don't need to cry anymore. You still have some of the tears left from earth. They're all gone forever now. Let me wipe your your cheek because you're not going to ever need those tears again. The time of crying is over. That's why you need to believe in you. You Say, Dave, how can I be sure that God's going to tent me, that God's going to tabernacle me, that he's going to wipe the tears from my eyes? How do I know that he'll lead me to a fountain of the springs of living water? And that final image is probably the most important of all. You know, I, one of the greatest things this chapter is saying is, please don't drink from a false fountain of living water. What do you drink from to give your life meaning? I, that's a question I ask myself over and over again. I say, Dave, what are you drinking from today that makes your existence worthwhile? And I've shared with you, in my past, I would say, I'm drinking from the fountain of being the first string quarterback in my high school. I, boy, that's a refreshing drink. It makes me really important. It makes me really happy. And I couldn't care less about that today. And nobody else could care either. And I share with you, I went through college and I say, well, man, the you know, first couple of years, I drank from the refreshing water of I'm the quarterback at, in college now. And and I'm a, you know, they even do interviews with me in the sports magazine because I'm playing quarterback in college. And I realized about my junior year that nobody could care less in college about jocks. They cared about intelligent people. So I said, now I'm drinking from the spring of living water called chemistry. And Mary can tell you about hours after hours after hours. And you say, well, Dave, how can anybody be so stupid to ever think that a living water could come from chemistry? But man, I felt like I'm an intellectual. If I can get straight A's in chemistry, I'm somebody really important. Now, nobody ever asked me about it. Just not, I, I haven't even looked at a chemistry book. It's totally unimportant. All of you can do that with your life. You go out into your life, and you say, man, this is the fountain. This is the drink that will satisfy me. What Revelation's saying, you can take one drink, and one drink alone, that'll be a spring of water, 
that keeps welling up inside of you. You see, when I was five years old, I let Jesus wash me in his blood. You ever think of how weird that is to be cleansed white by the blood of the Lamb? All you ladies know, you don't take a white garment and plunge it in red blood and take it out and have it be white. It's going to be stained and dirty. But this is an incredible imagery. Jesus, when I was five years old, took my life, which he pictured as a filthy, dirty garment, and he put it in his blood, the sacrificial lamb of God who shed his blood for me. And he took out that garment, and incredibly, in the washing criterions of heaven, when he took my life out of his shed blood, it was pure white by his grace. And all of you that have received Jesus Christ, that's what John is saying. Every single one of you. Some of you have screwed up in your life. You've messed up badly. Some of you are carrying guilt today from things that have happened. Do you know what Jesus is saying? Listen, if you've come to the place in your life where you've trusted in his sacrificial death for you, then you need to picture your life being like a filthy garment, a filthy rag. And Jesus puts your life down into that blood. And when he takes it off, rather than it being stained with red blood or stained with black sin, instead it's pure, holy, and white. These white robes of these saints that have now been translated, they are white, not because of their own righteousness, but because of the gift of Christ's sacrifice. Let's pray. Father, only your Holy Spirit can move my brothers and sisters to put all of their weight all their dependence upon the fact that you can provide victory I just pray that your spirit would speak quietly upon our hearts will you let God tabernacle you will you let him be the tent will you let him be the one that you let stretch out his beautiful tent over your life and rely upon him to protect you from the sun protect you from hunger to rely upon the fact that ultimately he really is a good daddy that will bring all those that trust in his son safely home. Will you rejoice in that today? The Lord Jesus says that we confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. His blood is powerful enough to make us white, whiter than snow. And one of Satan's biggest lies It's for you to feel that you can pay for your sin, that your guilt can somehow atone for your sin. It's time to join these resurrection tribulation saints and just trust in the blood of Jesus. One of the hardest things for us as human beings to do is just trust the blood of Jesus. Just trust the fact that he shed his blood, died a violent sacrificial death, and because of that death that we can be whiter than snow. But you're never going to conquer sin. You're never going to get victory over your obsessions, your habits. As long as you try to do it in your own strength. As long as you try to pay for your sin. As long as you try to atone for your guilt, you're going to get nowhere. In fact, Satan will keep dominating, controlling. Instead, you need to join these saints and just say, I rejoice because I'm fully trusting the Lamb of God whose blood can make me whiter than snow. It's so important for us today to see ourselves in Christ 
And because we're in Christ, to believe that he has created inside of us a fountain of living water. Are you taking drinks from illicit fountains? Trying to find the meaning of life. That's what, that's what pornography is. It's an illicit fountain. You think you're going to be alive as a man if, if you look at that or if you could experience that sexual excitement. Whether it's on the internet or the media, that's just a, an illicit, dirty fountain. So is thinking that if I can only make that next big sale, if I can only get that next $100,000, if I can only get that next big contract, then I'm really going to be important. That's an illicit fountain. It's not a drink that will satisfy you in the end. And Jesus today is standing before us and says, you need to drink from me. As a church family, I just ask you that your powerful Holy Spirit, who alone can help us not to be hypocritical, to help us not to be one thing here on Sunday morning and something else in the real life during the week, Lord, I just pray that you would take this incredible chapter that tells us about believers that will live in the future. Believers that will be so true to you, even in the midst of tribulation, and yet they give us an insight where we can find protection, where we can find a drink that will satisfy. Oh, Lord, I pray that on this side of eternity that you would give us the conviction, give us the obedience, give us the faith to really build our lives upon these great truths that Jesus The slain lamb alone can give us the victory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.